I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the New Testament book of Acts as we're going to continue on in a sermon series that where we are looking at the first Christian church that started in Jerusalem. One of the, one of the largest and the biggest genres of television entertainment these days is the genre of true crime. 20, 30 years ago, we started out with a massive hit called Cops that we watched on television, and, and there was America's Most Wanted, and there was Unsolved Mysteries, and then there's the, the, the idea of, of having entire networks dedicated to true crime, and you have court TV, and, and then televised court proceedings that, that would would feature America's rich and famous, and, and sometimes these court proceedings would make Americans rich and famous. There is something about watching a real-life trial that we are just captivated by. It's like watching a real television drama series happening in real time. It's actually happening. We have watched so much. We have watched so much Law and Order. We've watched so much uh, of, of reruns of The Practice, and for some of you that remember Matlock, and what, whatever you kids are watching these days that have to do with lawyer stuff on the YouTube TikToky snappy thingy, whatever it is that you're watching, we, we have almost become lawyers without going to law school. We, we think we know these things. We seem to be able to raise our hand during a TV show and say, objection, speculation, like we know what we're talking about, right? Or, or oh, that's hearsay. Objection, there's, there's no basis for this. As if we know what we're talking about. But we've become so accustomed to legal jargon because we watch these shows. You would think by now that we had seen so many court procedures or proceedings on TV that, that we would actually be a pretty good witness. Because we've seen a lot of people on the witness stand. You know what the experts say? The experts say that when it comes to evidence at a trial that eyewitnesses are actually some of the worst evidence uh, speakers that they could bring into a trial because eyewitnesses <clears throat> are often some of the most unreliable pieces of evidence that can be brought in. And, and, and really that's why, because, I'll be honest with you, and let's all be honest ourselves, sometimes eyewitnesses are liars. Sometimes eyewitnesses don't remember what they think they saw. Sometimes eyewitnesses can't pick out the right guy that held up the 7-Eleven. They were there, they remember him kind of being this tall. Sometimes you have eyewitnesses who were there, but they didn't have their glasses on when the event happened, and, and they didn't really have a good, clear look at what was going on. And a really good defense attorney is going to find those weaknesses, and he's going to bring them out at trial. And you might have a good, honest witness, but because of something like somebody's glasses, though, that testimony is now shaded, right? If you are ever a witness of a crime, 
it is very important that you have your facts straight. If anyone ever calls you to the witness stand, it's important that you know what you saw, that you can back up what you saw, because at that proceeding, you are a sworn witness, and at least in America, you are sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and what? Nothing but the truth. How important is your testimony to whoever is in the defendant's chair? How important is your testimony to their future life after this trial? Whether they're guilty or not, your testimony is so important to the truth. It's essential. Your testimony is not only helpful, but it's essential that it's truthful, and it's also essential that your witness is reliable. You may have been somebody at that crime scene and you saw it happen. You know the absolute truth of what went on, but the defense is going to call your lifestyle into question. The defense is going to, they're going to try and show you as an unreliable witness. Everything that you've ever posted on social media that is somewhat iffy might come up from a defense attorney that is trying to devalue your reliability. It's more than what you say on the stand. It's also your actions in everyday life that are recorded on social media somewhere else. It's recorded in the memory of your neighbors. These things come out, and they are basing a determination on your truthfulness, on your reliability as a witness on what your lifestyle says. How reliable? How reliable are you as a witness to anything? You might be a good eyewitness, but if somebody was to start tearing apart your lifestyle, to start tearing apart what it is you do, how reliable is your witness? Now let me ask you this. If that was somebody who you know, if that was your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister who is in the defendant's chair, let me ask you, how important is your testimony now? This isn't a stranger. This is somebody who you know. Your testimony is so important because now you are so close to that person. They say, well, th this, is, this is the defendant's daughter right here. She's really, really close. She's got some testimony that is going to be really, really important. How much weight is on your shoulders right now? You're in the witness chair. That's your mom or dad or your brother or sister over there, the defendant sitting at a table. How important is your testimony right now? Because your testimony is going to sway this jury because of your relationship with the defendant. That's why they called you, is because you're close to the defendant. That's why you're on the witness stand right now. You are three feet away from a judge. You're looking across the room. There's a prosecutor right over there. And that prosecutor is grilling you 
Because somebody who you love is in the defendant's chair, and you're a witness because they know that you love this person. They know how important this person is to you. And their life is going to change at the end of this trial, and it might be because of what you have to say. But it might be even more than what you have to say right now. It might be because of what you did yesterday and what you did two weeks ago and what you did a month ago. Now, what if the person sitting in that defendant's chair right over there, what if that person was Jesus? You have the prosecution which is representing the state, or maybe, maybe representing the state of people, or maybe the, representing the state of our culture. Maybe it's the state of the mindset of, of people who you know, people who live amongst us, and right now you are on the witness stand across the courtroom in the defendant's chair with no lawyer because he's representing himself is Jesus Christ. And you are the only witness that he has called in his own defense. He called you. Society's understanding of who he is is going to depend on what you say and how you live. And he called you. We're in Acts chapter 2 this morning, and this is the situation that the apostles are in right now. A couple of weeks ago, we, were, we started studying Acts, and, and, and we were there during Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came down as tongues of fire placed on the heads of the apostles, and the apostles started talking in all of these different languages, and what happened was, so Pentecost is an agricultural festival, and there's maybe upwards to a million people in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And when this big rush of wind came, a lot of people heard it and they came running to see what was going on. And they hear the apostles talking in different languages, languages from their hometown, but they know that the apostles don't normally talk in this language. So here is a God-powered moment going on. And these out-of-towners who have come to Jerusalem for this festival, they recognize that there is something going on. And the apostles are about to start defending their actions. They're, supposed, they're going to start defending the Holy Spirit. And let's start this morning. We're in Acts chapter 2. We are moments after the Holy Spirit has descended upon the apostles and we're starting in verse number 12. Luke writes this. They, the crowd, stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, eh, they're just drunk, that's all. We're going to stop for just a quick minute. It's really interesting that we look back at the very first church, and even the first time that the church started acting under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and society calls them all crazy drunks. Watch this. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, on the back of your bulletin, there are some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those answers. They're going to be up here on the screen. They'll be 
You can see them online as well. When the Lord starts guiding your actions, people will look at you as strange, and they should. I'm going to give you that to you again because I think there's three fill-in-the-blanks right here. When the Lord starts guiding your actions, people will look at you as strange, and they should. One of the points in your notes two weeks ago was that when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, people notice. And that's absolutely what is happening right now in our text. It's, it's that the, the apostles have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The crowd started to wonder what's going on. They're looking upon the apostles as strange. Their actions are strange to the local culture. I wonder if your life as a Christian looks strange at all to our local culture. It should. Are your actions to your non-believing neighbor strange? Well, they should be. So this is going back to the moment when, when the apostles were given the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus promised them. There's some of the million people who are in Jerusalem for the Pentecost celebration that are listening to the apostles talk in a different language. Let me ask you, what do you think other people would think is wrong with you when you start acting strange? What are other people thinking? When you start acting strange for Jesus, what do other people think of you? I promise you that they don't think and they don't understand that what is going on with you is you are living under the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't even cross their mind. Some of the people are going to think, wow, you are loco. There is like, like you have gone crazy. Like you, might, you might be on, on, on drugs or something. You got hit with a crazy stick, right? This others are going to think this. We talk about, we know, we know that, that when the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, people are going to notice, but what are they going to think? Yeah, they might think that there's something strange going on, and that's okay because that is normal. That's what's supposed to happen. People are supposed to think that there is something different in your life when you are living for Christ. It's going to be noticeable. That's what the apostles are doing is now they, they are, by default, they're having to defend themselves. Because what has happening in their life, it's not logical to the people around them. What happens in your life when you start following Christ, it's not logical to people around you. It's not logical to our society. Being in the world with the Holy Spirit isn't what this world looks at as logical. It's more than, than, than simply people not believing. It's, it's absolutely because of hard, cold hearts. Some people in our world will purposefully do everything that they can to counter the message of Christ. They will do anything that they can to defend a lifestyle that they continue to live 
Because they have control. They can live this way because they want to. You know who's in control? You know who's number one? They are number one. But for some reason, there's this misconception in our world that if you're living for Christ, then you have given up all control, all opportunity for joyousness, all opportunity for happiness, and that you just... You're living under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and you've got no control over what you do anymore. And in a way, that's right. But what is wrong about that is people think that you've got no opportunity to see joy now. You've got no opportunity to find happiness. What they don't know is the most joy and the most happiness comes by living for Jesus. Amen? The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18. Paul writes this, he says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. There's a difference between the people who are going to recognize God's actions through you and those who are not going to recognize God's actions through you. When you go out of your way to help somebody who you don't know, when you go out of your way to help somebody who, who doesn't look like you, somebody who you would have never before Christ, BC in your life, had any contact with at all, there's no earthly reason for, for you to have any contact with this person. That's right. There's not an earthly reason. There's a heavenly reason. Because... This world is going to say, you know what? You're crazy. You are a crazy drunk. That is a heart that is so far away from Christ. And a heart that is actually working hard to create more distance and keep that distance. Paul continues to say this. This is his next point in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's still writing to the church in Corinth. He says this in first, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. But people who aren't spiritual, they can't receive the truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Now, is it up to us to decide who's spiritual and who's not? No, it's not. It's our job to treat every single person as spiritual. We've got to bring them the Word of God. You're going to come across people who are going to categorize Christians as crazy. But if your goal is to be more Christ-like, then you also have a goal of being called crazy. I don't really think that's a bad thing. We're okay if our world looks at us as crazy, as different. Jesus was called all kinds of different things in his ministry. He was looked down upon because of his actions. He was ridiculed because he was helping lepers. He was shamed because he was taking care of others. And if you're going to live Christ-like, the same thing is going to happen to you. Undoubtedly, and I promise you that promise you that. It's going to come. As a matter of fact, you don't have to be deep in your faith to get ridiculed in our culture anymore. But the more ridiculed you get, the closer 
The closer you're coming to Christ, the further away you're coming from this world, and the more this world looks at you as a threat. That's okay. That's okay. If I threaten you with anything from this message of Christ, let me threaten you with the idea that you cannot spend eternity with Christ without Christ. Let that be a threat. Let, let you notice that. That is so important. When all the apostles were ridiculed by the society and they were called a bunch of drunks, Peter, one of the apostles, we start to see his boldness now. He steps up to set everyone straight. Remember, there's a crowd out here. There's a crowd of people that are wondering what's going on. And some of them said, yeah, those apostles, they're just a bunch of drunks. This is what Peter says. Follow me to Acts chapter 2. I'm in verse number 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Verse 15, these people are not drowned because some of you are assuming. It's 9 o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Some of your Bibles might say it's the third hour of the day. In their culture, the day started at 6 a.m. So it's the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m. No, what you see, verse 16, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Verse 17, in the last days, this is what Joel wrote, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Verse 19, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Here's Peter talking to a crowd. Write this down. This is the second point in your notes this morning. The opportunities to be a witness are often created by God-powerful moments. The opportunities to be a witness are often created by God-powerful moments. If the Holy Spirit had not come on this day, at this time, the apostles would not have had this big stir in the community, and, and, and members and people from Jerusalem and beyond who were there for the festival would not have come listening to a big wind and wondering what was going on. That is a God-powerful moment. And now, Peter says, look, we're not drunk. You have just been a witness to a God-powerful moment. I wonder what God does in our world that is only created by God-powerful moments that open up opportunities for you to be a witness. Opportunities that would not have existed without God's hands being involved. Let's take a look around the news. Let's take a look around our world right now. Here in California, we're working through wildfires up in the northern part of our state right now. There are hurricanes in the southern part of our nation right now. There is devastation right now with a nation that is coming out of a 20-year a war. There is divisions that, have, that, that are splitting people on a political spectrum right now. There's people who are rushing to our borders for a better way of life. A pandemic has affected every single person in some way. Among other things, do you know what these are? 
These are God-powered moments. These are opportunities. We just saw Peter stand up, and the first thing that he tells this audience who came together during a God-powered moment, he says, listen carefully. Peter steps up, says, listen, people. Peter recognizes that there is an audience now because something that God had done, there is an audience that wasn't available an hour ago. Every single one of the apostles could have at that moment, they could have said, okay, baptized with the Holy Spirit, I'm out. They could have run and found some place to hide, but they recognized an opportunity. They recognized a crowd and they started talking. I don't want you to think it's a coincidence. Have you ever been to a street fair or you go downtown? This happens at Festival of Lights downtown in Riverside. If you go down there around Christmas season and you're walking around, somebody is going to be on a soapbox preaching to the crowd. We call them street preachers. Do you ever come across a street preacher? Somebody, as you're, as you're walking along, and, and, and they're just out preaching to the crowd, right? And there's a lot of people who are going to just walk by them. They're not listening. They actually wish that this guy wasn't preaching because what he's saying is piercing them, and they'd rather not be pierced. Don't look at it. It's not coincidence. What this is is a pastor or somebody who is recognizing a crowd and starting to talk is starting to reach into this crowd. It's not a coincidence at all. You know what they're doing. They are recognizing the power of God, bringing people together, and they are speaking into others. See, it's when, it's when there is a crowd, when there's a listening audience, and it's in this moment that you are back on the witness stand. You are now witnessing for Jesus. And it's your words, and it's your testimony, and it's your actions that are all going to defend Jesus. Either they're going to defend Jesus or they're not. One of the two. All these people around you, they're waiting for you to talk and for you to explain what happened. Maybe this God-powered moment in your life, maybe it was a death in the family. Maybe it was the birth of a, of a newborn baby. Maybe it was, it was a moment that is so extraordinary that, that you didn't see it coming. But because of right now, in your world, in your family, you have an audience because of a God-powered moment. You didn't see this coming. What we just read, Peter and the apostles, they didn't see this coming either. But Peter stood up, and he started to talk to the people at this event Peter started by giving biblical evidence to what happened. He went all the way back to the book of Joel. Now, let me tell you something. Not everyone in his audience had the book of Joel memorized. Not everyone. He starts back in Scripture. 
He says, this is the scriptural basis for my argument, what I'm about to say. This is a great reason to have some scripture memorized so that when that God-powered moment happens, we have something to fall back on. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering, let me just by a show of hands, who has the entire Bible memorized? Anyone raise your hand? All right. Seeing none. I, I move on. I'm not raising my hand either, okay? But see, here's the thing. When we, when we know, when we have something that we can say, Peter, he came back to a biblical argument. For you to be a witness, you're on the witness stand, you're wanting to, to speak with truth, it matters what the truth is. It matters what support that we could bring for that truth. But I don't want you to say, you know what, I don't, I don't have the Bible memorized, and, 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 that, and that now to be an excuse to where you can't. We need to have something to say when God gives you an opportunity to talk. Let me say that again. We need to have something to say when God gives you an opportunity to talk. Peter started talking to these men. He started talking about Scripture so that he can connect the dots with his argument. And then Peter goes a different direction in his defense of Jesus. We'll see what he says next. We're in Acts chapter 2. I'm in verse number 32. This is what Peter says now to the crowd. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Remember, a witness, right? These guys are eyewitnesses. Now he, Jesus, is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see here today. Here's the third point in your notes this morning, and this is so important. When it's time to be a witness Say what you saw. When it's time to be a witness, say what you saw. Your testimony on the stand, your testimony is telling people what happened. It's telling people what you saw. If you're called as a witness in a trial, Nobody here is going to be, nobody in this room, I, 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 we're not going to be called as a witness to testify about the science of blood spatter. We're not going to be called as a witness to testify on cell phone pings. We're not being called to testify on things we don't know about. We are being called to tell people what we saw. That's why Jesus is calling us. Because we're so close. He says, be a witness of mine. Tell people what you saw. Yes, it's, it is helpful to have Scripture memorized. It's helpful to have an ability to say, okay, you know what? Let me connect the dots with you. Just like Peter did. He says, let me take you back to the book of Joel, and I'm going to tell you exactly what is happening. And that is important. People are asking you to say what you saw if you can back it up with biblical evidence, great. Let's see this. This is in Psalm chapter 66, verse number 16. It says, come and listen, all of you here who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. Come and listen, and I will tell you what God did for me. Do you know what God did for you? 
You don't have to have the whole Bible memorized to tell people what God did for you. As a matter of fact, you don't have to have a single verse memorized to tell people what God did for you. Peter, who was just up talking a minute ago, actually wrote a couple of books in our Bible. He wrote this in, uh, in, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 11. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for pastors to be asked by people in the church. And maybe they say, Pastor, I've, I've never led somebody. I've never led somebody to Jesus. I, I don't know if I would know what to say if that conversation were to come up. I, I, I think I would stumble. I think I would just, oh, I would blow it if that conversation started somewhere, because I don't know the Scripture well enough. Let me tell you, there is an importance to knowing Scripture, absolutely. But there is a massive importance in your testimony. Don't discredit what you do know and think that it's lesser than what you don't know. I can't tell people your testimony you can. The question is, what has God done for you? You, you can give Jesus a five-star Yelp review. You can do that without having any scripture memorized. You can write that review. You don't need to know, you don't need to be able to recite the Romans road to log into Google and give Jesus a review. You always have something that you can tell others. You start by telling them your story. You start by telling them what God did for you. Say what you saw. Answer this question. What has Jesus done for you? How did Jesus change your life? How can Jesus change somebody else's life? What changed in your life that can be the same that can change in their life? Who were you? Who are you? How does Jesus see you? These are all the answers that you have. You know that better than anyone does. You are a witness. You can tell others. Nobody knows your testimony better than you do. That's what a witness does. A witness says what it is that they saw. What did you see when Jesus changed your life? That is your testimony on the witness stand. That is your defense of Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writes this. He says, it means, it means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You, as a witness, you know the facts. You are a reliable witness? Maybe? Is your testimony true? 
Let me ask you this. What sense would it make to you? What sense would it make to your listener? What sense would it make to Jesus for you to get up on the stand and tell a fib? Just lie about Jesus. What sense would that make? That wouldn't make any sense at all. So now that you've been a witness and you can establish an actual basis for your testimony because you were there, you lived through it, now you can turn to the facts that you know about Jesus, what he has done for you, how he has changed your life. And again, you might not have all of the Bible memorized. You might not know the exact verses to go to. But I want you to see what, can, what Peter continues to tell the crowd. And I promise you, you can do the same thing with somebody else. Watch this. Peter continues speaking in chapter 2. I'm in verse number 36. Peter says this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sin and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Peter came to them with a testimony he came backing it up with some scripture, said, this is, my, this is my point, and I'm backing it up here. He turned it back to Jesus, and he gave them some very, very, very important information. This is the fourth point in your notes this morning. Be ready with an answer to what do I do next. Be ready with an answer to what do I do next. Remember our scenario of being in court and Jesus is on trial. He's in the defense chair, but there's nobody representing him. He's representing himself, and he gives you the opportunity to tell others about him. In real court, not TV court, it's not uncommon for lawyers the prosecution and the defense attorneys to take their witnesses that they're going to call to the stand and sit down with them before trial, and they have a conversation. They say things like this, okay, I want you to expect the defense attorney to ask you this question. I want you to expect them to ask you this kind of question, and let's talk about what you're going to say. You know what they're doing? They're preparing a witness to go on the stand. Let's talk about what you would say. How do we prepare ourselves to go on the stand and be a witness for Jesus? As Christians, we can tell people how, how Christ changed your life, and we can tell people how Jesus was, was crucified, and that he is both Lord and Messiah, and that he died for your sins, but we must be ready to answer this question, what do I do next? Because somebody's going to ask, what is it? See, without action, a story is just a story. Peter tells them what to do next. Christians, church, 
You cannot be afraid to tell them that they need to repent of their sins and turn to God. We can't be afraid of that. In our culture, we're not supposed to call people out for their sins. But Peter did. Telling people to repent of their, of their sins demands that they acknowledge and that we acknowledge that people, other people are sinners, just like us. We're the same. We're sinners. We've got to repent and turn to God. This is being bold. Because in order to tell somebody that they need to repent, you must be willing to tell them that they are a sinner. Just like somebody told you. And just like somebody told me. It's hard. But if we look at everyone as glorified, and they're not glorified, and we give a testimony that's false, we're not only going to affect their life, but we could affect their eternity by not being bold enough. It's a huge step in witnessing. This is evangelizing. Because if we leave this out, we might have just told a good story. I want you to see why it's so important. We skip ahead a couple of chapters to verse number... I'm in chapter 3 of Acts, verse number 19. It says, Now repent of your sin and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped away. That's why. That's why you are on the witness stand. We can't tell half a story. We can't tell some of what we saw. Jesus is on trial in our culture. Because people in our world want to do everything that they can to distance themselves from their own sin. If you, if you want to continue living a worldly lifestyle, you can justify it. People do justify it by distancing themselves from Christ and glossing over sin and just saying, well, that's just who I am. You are you're not really who you think you are unless you know and you recognize that you are who God made you. You aren't. You're not who you think you are unless you recognize that you are who God made you. I wonder if today the idea that you need to repent of sin is a prick at your heart. I wonder if that's piercing this morning. You know what that is? You know what that guilt is? You know what that thought is? You know what that feeling is? That is recognition that your sin is real and that it exists. Today in this room, we are all experiencing a God-powered moment. And, and this is an opportunity that I can't let pass. If you're here and you think that I am crazy this morning for coming up here and preaching about Jesus and, and preaching about the fact that, that we are sinners and we need to repent, if, if you think I'm crazy for that, that's okay. I will take that. I can give you my testimony if it'll help, but I'll tell you there's people here who have a testimony. 
who I'd rather you hear from. Because there's people here who have a testimony just like yours. Every single one of them. There's people here who are giving Jesus a five-star review right now. And I want you to go and ask them why. Why are you giving Jesus a five-star review? You know what? When you walk out of this room claiming Christ, you are also giving a review. Don't just click on the stars. You've got to write why. Don't just click five stars. You need to write why you are giving Jesus five stars. And it might be time for us to start recognizing that God-powered moments in our lives and seizing those opportunities to be a witness. Have you ever been timid about telling somebody that they need to repent of their own sin? That's hard. That's bold. I pray that today you find that those opportunities will come again. And you find that that's when you are called to the witness stand. That is your time to tell others about Jesus. And I pray that when that moment comes, that you are bold. Will you pray with me?